Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Or if this is your first time listening, welcome here. Welcome to the She Built This podcast. Um, If you recall, a couple of weeks ago, um, the episode came out on March 30th, and it was an episode with Danielle Gagnon. We were talking about SEO, and which is search engine optimization for your website. And I told you a story about when I recently fell down my stairs and hurt my tailbone. Thankfully, um, I'm either further along now in my healing journey and I am starting to feel even better than I was when I told you the story last time, but it brought something to light, something very interesting that I think you might be able to identify with too. So another side effect of that particular spill for me was that now I am afraid to walk downstairs without holding onto the handrail. And this is like, yes, even when I'm going down the stairs slowly and carefully, basically now I've shifted into just being completely overly cautious in every waking moment. And I don't know about you, but for me, I wanna relate this to how it can feel when it comes to making decisions. Decisions are something that I personally have been thinking and reflecting on a lot lately, especially as this month, April, the focus in She Built This in the group and on the podcast is about being intentional and also simplicity. And decisions go hand in hand with both of those things. As you'll hear in this episode, they are the very fundamental piece, the foundation of being intentional is making good decisions. So I've just kind of been sitting with some of my own uh, decision-making processes, not just looking at the actual decisions themselves, but also thinking about what the actual process is and where I make my decisions grounded from. It has been really eye-opening. So here's the thing for me about making decisions. Uh, often I look outside myself for help making them, right? And then I find that every single answer I get, every opinion I get is different and somebody it works for this way and then somebody else it works for that way. And then you just end up walking away being more confused. And here's the other thing about it. At the end of the day, the decision is still on me. The decision is still up to you. So even after asking all of those people their opinion or their advice, it is still up to you inevitably, ultimately, to make that decision. Now, we all have a different approach for when we are faced with decisions, big or small. Sometimes we avoid them altogether, which, by the way, that is still a decision. Uh, Sometimes we make them fast. Sometimes we make them slow. Sometimes we go straight to the facts. We go with our gut. We rely on past experience, which in my opinion, that's where some of these handrail gripping moments really come in. And it's important to recognize, especially for, you know, when you're in the middle of trying to make a big decision, just because you fell one time does not mean you're going to fall again. And if you made a mistake in the past, it doesn't mean that you can't trust yourself to succeed moving forward. In fact, I I think that sometimes when we make these mistakes, it can help us to be even more informed about a good decision in moving forward. But I think sometimes these falls, these mistakes, they can make us lose trust in ourselves, right? And then decision-making becomes harder. And then there's the overwhelm. And when you're trying to make one, it can feel just like all-encompassing and you can't focus on anything else. And 
oh, when you are faced with a big decision, like even the little things, like which socks should I wear? Which pants should I put on? Even those little tiny decisions, what should I make for dinner can topple you. So my curiosity question for you today, and hopefully something that this podcast episode will help you to reflect on is how do you make decisions? Do you even, do you have a process? Do you make them with a trusted decision-making counsel or do you tend to make them on your own? And here's an even bigger question for you. Do you make your decisions from a place of fear of falling down those steps again or a place of love? My guest today It's really hard to sum her up in a simple introduction. Like me, she is a lover of lots of things and has different offerings and different paths, but I I just see her as somebody who has made this huge decision to live a better life and to be a better person. And as a result of that decision, she's chosen a path that requires to make very intentional decisions each day that will help her to do so. And she shares this knowledge in just a beautiful way that will help you to do the same. I met Kate Hanley in a gateless writing salon led by the amazing Becky Karish, who I'm constantly raving about. And Kate wrote this piece about flossing teeth that I will not soon forget. It was so funny. In addition to being a brilliant writer, she is also the host of the How to Be a Better Person podcast, which if you can get this, it has almost 700 episodes of this podcast, like 700 episodes on how to be a better person. That's amazing. Kate is also the author of How to Be a Better Person, the book, Stress Less, and the Anywhere, Anytime Chill Guide. Her work has been featured in Inc., Fast Company, Women's Day, Fortune, and the Harvard Business Review. And she built this. She has also been featured on the Today Show, where she noticed seconds before the camera started rolling that her sweater was on backwards, which was the perfect opportunity to practice what she preaches. She lives in Providence, Rhode Island with her husband, two kids, and a rescue dog named Cookie, which is an adorable name. After hearing uh, Kate in Gateless Writing, I got so curious about who this person was and what she was all about. And I actually discovered her podcast, How to Be a Better Person, as my starting point into her world. One recently she just did that hit me over the head like an epiphany of bricks was her episode on making decisions from our hearts and not our heads. And we do get into that in this episode, as well as what it really means to be a better person, especially in a world where we all feel like we just need to be hustling and striving all the time. It's like, I don't want one more thing to do or one more resolution or one more thing I need to change. So we really talk about like where you can start small to become a better person and what that actually looks like. Um, And also what intention means to Kate and what that that looks like in everyday life and how you can start rethinking your decision making to moving from a place of fear to one of love. And in the nature of keeping this introduction short, sweet, and simple and intentional for you. I, I've just gone ahead and put all the links you need in the show notes so that you can find information about Kate. And if this is your first time listening, you're probably also curious about who I am and what She Built This is as well. So I will have the link to shebuiltthis.org in the show notes as well so that you can not spend this entire podcast being preoccupied by wondering who I am and what everything is all about and just fully focus on this 
awesome conversation and episode ahead. As I always say, without further ado, here is my conversation with Kate Hanley. Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Hi, Kate, and welcome to the She Built This podcast. Hi, I'm so happy to be here, Emily. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I am excited. I'm a big fan of yours. As I was telling you before we hit record, um, I listen to all of your podcast episodes, usually while I'm walking in the woods with my dog. And it's just like so reassuring and calming and lovely. (laughs) Oh, good. So I'm really happy to hear that. That is my intention. My intention is to be like, the little angel on your shoulder. <laughs> you are. You are that angel. Um, all right. So I want to hear about how you kind of came, like, I, I know what you're up to now, but I would love to hear a little bit about your backstory and how you really got started, like being a writer and into podcasting and yeah. What brought you to where you are today? Yeah. Well, geez, now I'm 51, almost 52. So I feel like my story starts a long time ago. I, um, I just regarding podcasting, I had a a radio show in college, which sounds very glamorous, but it was literally like, hey, if you want to like take an hour, please come sign up. We're begging you. And so I did that. And I just got really hooked on this um, audio medium with the headphones. I have to ask what the radio show was about. Oh, um, yeah. It was the greatest hits of the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Like, I didn't know how to... I still had a lot of ideas even back then. Um, you did You did not niche down in your decade of music. I did not. I did not. Um, so that was kind of uh, my first um, experience kind of being a content producer, I guess, for people, for an audience that maybe I didn't already know, you know? Um, and I, I, my first job after college, I just went down to a temp agency and said, here's my resume. And they said, okay, here you go. Why don't you go work for this stockbroker? And I was like, great, I got a job. I'm so psyched. And when I got there, I had a nervous breakdown because I was like, I can't stand numbers. I don't care about this. I can't believe they want me to sit in the same spot every day for eight hours for the rest of my life. Like, what am I going to do? So I had to do some soul searching and realize that I loved reading and writing and I always had. And if I had to work every day for the rest of my life, then I was going to need to find some kind of a job in publishing where, where my the things that I was interested in were actually helpful. And I, I did, you know, I went and got an editorial assistant job at a very small publishing company in San Francisco that you never heard of. And I had to make the coffee, but I, um, learned how to edit there and started working on books there. And, really just took to it like a duck to water. And that is kind of how I sort of started off down this, like um, a life in the creative realm started for me. And now you ghostwrite for people, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. How much How much of your business is kind of spent doing that? Yeah. So like if you broke everything up into percentages, it, I know you don't like numbers, but what would that look like? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, well, it's, it depends on if we're talking about how are we breaking it up according to time or according to money. You don't have to answer that. But like, you know, the majority of my time and the majority of my income comes from 
helping people write their books. Sometimes I do the writing. Sometimes I'm more of a thought partner and a collaborator and I keep you on tracker. Um, that's the majority of it. I also work with people, with clients as a personal development coach. At one point in my career, I hired a coach to help me figure out how to make more money. And the experience was so powerful that I decided to do my coaching training. Um, and so I, I, something I've discovered about myself is that I thrive on variety. So this, this pie of what I spend my time and derive my income from makes a lot more sense when you know that. And then uh, podcasting, I spend about a day a week on it probably. So, and that is still um, in process in terms of being an income generator, but I kind of don't care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing I love about your podcast is that you, it, it directly ties you to want to go check out other things on your website and you do a really good job with like lead magnets basically. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems that you're always kind of creating a new one and, and a new idea around one. So th that's where that's going to come in for you is building that list. Um, for sure. And also it sounds like you have advertisers too. So I bet that is a little bit, yeah. that's a little bit of a, a step up <laughs> for yeah. most podcasts. Yes, it's true. It's true. Although that is more, I'm still in the realm of, you know, just being completely transparent. And I know that this is a business oriented audience. Um, the sponsorships are great, but they are still like offsetting costs. They're not necessarily providing income. I totally get that. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So where did you come up with the idea for your book, how to be a better person? Well, I had written a few books, mostly on stress relief. Um, after working in the editorial world for a lot of years, I would do yoga. I would sneak out and do yoga at lunch to kind of help them deal with the stress of working at an internet startup, for example. And then at one point I raised my hand to get laid off and I went to go do my yoga teacher training. And it was ironic because I thought I wanted to leave the computer behind and like do something more physical in the room with other people at the same time. But what I heard when I did all that practicing, I had to do a ton of yoga, a ton of meditating is that what I'd always wanted to do was write, you know, I, I thought I had kind of nailed it by becoming an editor, but I'd never considered that I could be the one turning in the pieces, you know, with my name on the work. Um, and when I did my yoga teacher training, I heard that. And so when I finished training, I launched my first website, it was called Ms. Mind Body, and I started developing a list. And my goal was to develop enough of a platform, which is something that publishers are very uh, keen to know about, basically the size of your audience and how many people want to hear from you and would potentially pay to read something that you've written. Um, and it worked. So, you know, I built my audience of newsletter subscribers and I pitched my first book and in um, homage to where I first got my um, inspiration, I wrote a lot about stress relief. I was trying to bring yoga to people who thought that they weren't yoga people, you know? Um, so my first book was called The Anywhere, Anytime Chill Guide. So that was a fun little niche I had for myself. I ended up writing three or four books on stress relief. And um, then in 2016, December of 2016, okay, right after the presidential election, when our country felt so divided and things just felt like, what is going to happen now? Um, for the first time ever, I saw a poll from Marist University that they had said, they had asked people what their New Year's resolution was. And for the first time ever, it was be a better person. Wow. But yeah, I know. And that was so hopeful to me in that moment. It wasn't fix yourself or get out of debt or lose weight or quit smoking. It was be better. And I was like, oh, we're realizing something good is coming out of this. We're realizing that we can't just 
have our head in the sand and get caught up in our own dramas and and not give a shit <laughs> about the world around us and about who we're being, you know, where people are realizing we need to be the change. And I really wanted to be a part of that effort. And I already had a relationship with a publisher that I had published my previous book, Stress Less, with. And they were, you know, we had a quick phone call and we were off to the races and it came out the following January. I do see a a shift in the way that people are making are tackling, let's call New Year's resolutions or goals. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of people completely throwing them out entirely. But I do see a lot of people not going with the, you know, I'm going to scrap everything on January 1st and become a different person. I'm going to transition into being a better person by taking small steps. And I've, I love that because that's always been like, you know, we, when we do make the decision to scrap everything or go go cold Turkey, it's like we inevitably fail. And then we feel worse than when we started. That's right. Then you think like, what's the point? Pass the chips or, you know, whatever. I'm just going to stick to my old ways. Yeah. So at the same time, I still think that making the decision, like I am a person that is always striving to be a better person. And sometimes I feel like it can still be frustrating and daunting. And I guess my question for you is where, if somebody's in that position where they're like, I am always trying to be a better person, what would you say to help ease them and also give them kind of like, here's where you start? Right. Well, the the first thing that I would say to help kind of ease that. I do think the desire to be a better person often comes from this fear that we're not a good person, right? And that is a very uncomfortable place to be. We've all done something or said something where in the middle of the night, we're thinking about it and we're like, am I a bad person? You know? Um, So the first thing that I say to people is that you are already a good person. Just the fact that you care about being better proves that to me. And you don't even need to prove anything to me because we're all born with an inherent goodness. And I believe that the process of becoming a better person is really more about tapping into that internal well of goodness that's already there. You know, I mean, we may need to learn some new skills or develop some new habits, but it's not about changing who you are at your core. It's really more about remembering. And that desire to be a better person is just telling me and you that you know that already that you know that it is possible. So I think the other tension comes in when we see, okay, for example, if you feel guilty for saying no to somebody because you truly just do not want to do this thing, Mm -hmm. that can make you feel like a bad person. So I think there's also this tension with like things that you think are making you a good person or making you a uh, team player, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, And then things that really, it's like, that doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you human and and really teaching people to like kind of lean into what the things are that do make them feel good, which you I know you talk a lot about on your show. Right. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because we can get kind of kinked up in our minds about what it means to be a good person. And and I think that the language is really important because good is something that is fixed. People may have different definitions of it, but it is like it's it's a a set it's like a target you know it's it's a set sort of a goal and better is just is relative it's relative to you it's relative to the way that you were the day before it's relative to a different choice that you can make you know it's not even about being a good person quite honestly it's just about being better 
And I think that that is a relief. And I think it's good to start from a place of like, oh, I think I can actually maybe do this. Yeah. I think better is about becoming your best self, like your best version of you, not somebody else's version of somebody else's best version of them, basically. Yes, for sure. And P.S. Like there's always more available to us. There's always more growth. There's always more insight. There's always more, I don't know, different experiences and new levels of understanding. And that's a really beautiful thing. So yeah, it's not even, honestly, it's not even being the best version of yourself. It is truly just being better. We're never done. The Dalai Lama still has personal growth to go through, you know? So it's not like we're going to finish one day and be done. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, let's talk about some of like the little things that people can do. You call them quick hits, things that people can do in the next, let's even say, couple of hours that are going to help to strengthen some of those better person muscles. I love this because being a better person is very theoretical, right? We could have some very deep existential conversations about what it means, but sometimes you just need something practical. So here's something that you could do. I don't know where your audience is, is based. I'm the podcast or anywhere, but I lived in New York city for 15 years. Anybody who lives in any kind of populated area, this is a real struggle and it is to let someone else go first. Um, <laughs> um, if we, are you talking about like in the, in the grocery line? Cause yep. that does not happen around here. <laughs> I know, right? it, it could be anywhere. It could be in the grocery line. It could be in your car. It could be um, waiting for the elevator or getting off the escalator or on the subway or off the subway or even like with your family at dinner time, like just let somebody else make their plate first, you know, <laughs> um, it just it's it's not like it's so noble to put other people's needs first. This is not my intention here, but it just gets you out of this me first mentality, which can creep in without you really even noticing it. Usually when we're in a rush, it's like, get out of my way because I'm doing something very important as if other people aren't also doing something important, right? And just to let, just to stop and let someone else go first, you know, it gets you out of that mentality. And second of all, it can really make someone else's day. Just this little thing. And that gives you both a rush. Yeah, exactly. And I was just about to say, like, when are, when we think we're in a rush at the grocery store, like, we're not actually in that much of a rush. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, you, uh, be honest, you allot, like, an entire hour for the trip or whatever. So the fact that you're in and out in 40 minutes instead of, you know, 39 minutes is not going to make or break anything. Yeah. I mean, this rushing thing is really ingrained. I remember during my yoga teacher training, we were doing this, we were practicing a walking meditation and we were just supposed to like walk around the yoga studio slowly. And our teacher was like, you'll notice that you'll be mad that someone in front of you is going slow or feel like you need to get around them. And we're literally just walking in circles. There is nowhere to go. The whole point is just to walk meditatively. So it's very ingrained. Well, I love that one. Okay, let's ha- let's have another example. Okay, so another one is to assume the best about someone. So you're going to likely hear a story about something that happened to somebody that somebody else did, maybe at dinner time or scrolling through Twitter and there's some like, you know, scandal du jour right now as we're recording. It's all about Will Smith and Chris Rock, right? And it's just very easy when you or, or you're going to interact with somebody at the grocery store. Somebody's going to want to get in front of you, you know, and you're going to be like, how dare you? The quick hit is to just 
try and assume the best about that person in that moment, which is not something that we usually do. We are usually, we have what's called the negativity bias, where we are, our brains are wired to pay more attention to the things that are negative or that go wrong than they are about the things that are going right. So, you know, if you're, I'm involved with my kids PTO, if somebody's, you know, talking too long during the meeting or saying something that you just totally don't agree with, you could be sitting there thinking like, what a busy body. They just don't have anything better going on in their lives or whatever. And instead, if you are going to assume the best about them, you could say like, well, they really care about this. I wonder like what made them care about this so much? Maybe they were, you know, a kid, as a kid, they dealt with a situation like this and that's why they're so passionate or something, you know? Maybe no one else at home listens to them talk and this is their one moment of the day. (laughs) Totally. And we could just give them this moment. Like, wouldn't that be nice? It's just like, it's a relief. So you assume positive intent. Okay. That is a good one. And one that I need to work on uh, in multiple ways, but a lot of times if somebody is slow to respond or, you know, I just automatically go to they're thinking the worst possible thing or I, I put their intentions in the worst possible place. And so I think just like switching that to, well, maybe they're just having a busy day or they probably are not even thinking about the thing that you're thinking they're thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, I'll just some semi off topic, I always need and appreciate a friendly reminder, especially around an email. So uh, yeah, if you can assume positive intent with someone, then you're going to be able to send a light little touch in like, hey, I just wanted to nudge myself back up to the, the top of your inbox. I know we're all so busy these days. Have you had do you have a second to think about this? And then they're going to appreciate that humanity that you extended to them and, you know, want to get back to you. What a good one. Okay, one more quick hit. So here's one that sounds hard. Boy, does it feel good though when you've done it, and that is to own up to a mistake. So I don't make mistakes, so I don't have to worry about this one. <laughs> well, good. Whew. Well, for anybody listening who might make mistakes, you know, there's just it's so easy to try and come up with a reason, or maybe uh, send blame somewhere else, or make an excuse, and those things are okay. They're not, they don't make you a bad person. They're very normal human responses. However, they're kind of just circumventing the truth, you know, and we're really about getting back to the true core of who we are, right? So if you can just say like, God, you know what? I really, I regret that I said that. I wish I hadn't said it that way. Or um, you can give a little context if you want to. Boy, I was really stressed. I hadn't eaten lunch and I just overreacted and I'm sorry. Um, but that I cannot tell you, it shifts the energy so much between your interaction with the other person and how you feel about yourself. You know, this is how you get out of that waking up in the middle of the night and being like, Oh my God, I think I might be a bad person (laughs) because you know, it takes courage to just say how you got it wrong. And it's such a relief because then you don't have to spend any energy on trying to convince someone that you weren't wrong when you were. I think it feels really good to own up to our mistakes. And also, you know, when you are having an off day to just kind of like put that out there at the beginning. So because otherwise people are sitting in the conversation wondering the whole time, basically. Um, So yeah, even with little tiny things that you might be like, all right, I'm definitely not my best self right now. And I'm just going to call that out and let them know that this is why that's happening. It just, it takes like so much pressure off you and also 
the other person. Agreed. It really does feel like you just set down a heavy backpack. So this month in the group and on the podcast, my focus is on simplicity and intention. And I know that it's funny that I made two words in one for a month of simplicity, <laughs> but but let's focus in on the word intention okay. and like how maybe how you really try to live a life of intention and what that looks like for you, what intentionality looks like for you. Okay. Um, well, I love that. I love that you have a theme, first of all, and I love this theme. To me, intention is is about decisions. You know, it's about deciding what you're going to do and deciding why you're doing it, whether what your motivation is or, or what you're hoping to sort of create. It is. So in that way, it's being conscious, more conscious than unconscious. It's easy to kind of go through your days just sort of unconsciously kind of responding to things. But if you're being intentional, then you know what you're setting out to do and you know why you're setting out to do it. Because I think when you're intentional, it also helps change your results because you kind of uh, you're shifting from sort of like that reactive negativity bias that I was talking about earlier toward like what you're seeking to create. And that's really powerful. But deciding is hard. <laughs> the The root of decide, I mean, think about suicide, fratricide. Side is to kill. It's like you're, you're, you're killing off other options. You're separating mm. away the other options. That's why decisions can feel so hard. And so just inherently, being intentional is difficult. And then especially now when we have, you know, social media feeds and buzzing phones and, you know, any number of things at our fingertips that could divert our attention, it is hard to stay consciously focused on what you had decided to focus on, you know? Yeah. It almost seems like decision-making or sorry, being intentional is like you're on this big ship and the the wind kind of wants to steer you in every single direction. You have to constantly like stay on course, stay mm -hmm. on course, stay on course. Really nicely said. And you kind of led me into my next question I have for you yeah. with the decision making because one of your recent podcasts, which I have to say was like mind-blowingly beneficial for me, and I shared it with my VIPs as a resource of the week. Aww. It was about how to make decisions with your heart yeah. uh, versus out of fear. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I mean, that would be with your heart and it could be your gut versus your brain, I guess. But, um, can you kind of share some of where you came up with that and the decision ma making matrix that you shared on your podcast? Because that was like a epiphany for me. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It was really helpful for you. Thank you for sharing it with folks. I, that's, that, I appreciate that. I always appreciate any kind of like word of mouth so much and really take it to heart. Uh, because, you know, I have this background in yoga and meditation, I've done a lot of learning about the ego. And the ego is our survival system. It is constantly trying to keep us safe. And the way I learned it, the ego is like this hard, crusty shell that is trying to protect the jewel. The jewel is our heart. The jewel is our wisdom. The jewel is our most authentic self. But the ego was like, this is so precious that I have to protect it and, um, Anything that gonna, is going to come in and speak to the jewel is going to perk up your ego's ears and it is going to try and deflect it 
any way it can. And it's very good at knowing what you care about and what you'll pay attention to and basically how to manipulate you. <laughs> you know. So when you're trying to make a decision, especially something like, oh, should I leave my job because I really want to pursue this other thing or thinking about moving or starting a, a education program or something, something that's calling to your higher self, man, the ego is going to kick up a mighty fuss and start to tell you all kinds of mean things like, oh, this will never work out, or you tried something like this in the past and it didn't work then, so what makes you think it's going to work now? You know, it's just, it's a lot of, basically, it's the voice of fear. And fear is not a bad thing. Fear is a, is a survival mechanism. It can, you know, help you perk up your ears in a dark parking lot at night when maybe you need to, like, get in your car and get out of there, whatever. That, I mean, that's a good thing. Um, but a lot of times fear is really just reactionary. It's not intentional. It is just like, it's new. No. <laughs> so I created this decision-making matrix to give you an opportunity to put down all the things that are bouncing around in the inside of your head. Very hard to have context on this, right? Because it's invisible. It's inside your head. No one else really can see it. Um, because it's a thought, it's very easy to mistake as truth, which it isn't necessarily. So if you can put down all your reasons for doing something and for not doing something, and then write down the fear-based reasons for not doing it, and then the love-loving reasons, like the, the higher calling reasons, the words are sort of failing me right now, but, <laughs> and put them, give them all a home on a piece of paper, which is what the matrix is. And I can walk you through it if you want, if we have time, I don't know, but you can just put everything down on a piece of paper and just see so clearly like, oh, these reasons that have got me so convinced that are fear-based when I hear them in my mind, when I see them written on a piece of paper, I can see like, thanks for your concern, but that's, that's not really something that I'm worried about. You know, and I think it also shows that for every fear, there's like another. Uh, it's not like pros and cons, right? It's mm -hmm. like, but for every fear, there's a balance in the on the love side, and and I think that the love side is actually the one that's more exciting. So just for yes. the visual people, let's explain like what the matrix looks like, okay. and then and and I'll have a link to where they can actually get it. Okay, and great. It yes, okay. I do have a beautiful version <laughs> that you can exactly. download on my website. However, all you need is a piece of paper and a pen and you draw a big square. Like, you know, it takes up most of the paper. And then you draw a line vertically down the center and a, a line horizontally across the center so that you've divided your big square up into four smaller squares. And then across the, you know, across the top above the two columns on the top, you write fear on over one column and love over the other. And then across the rows, so horizontally on the outside, you write yes, and then you write no. So we're making a little grid. And then you need to ask your, you need to frame your decision in a yes, no question. Um, should I take this trip? I don't know, whatever it is. And so when you're thinking about if you're taking this trip and you decide to do it, what are all the things that you're worried about? What are the fears there? You know, you write them in the quadrant where fear and yes intersect. And then in the quadrant where love and yes intersect, you think about what are all the loving reasons? What are all the reasons that I'm excited about? What are all the reasons that are calling me forward about taking this trip? And you put them down. And then, you know, it's not just 
you really want to consider all options. So you consider not taking the trip too. And then what are your fears about not taking the trip? What might you miss out on? And then what are the loving reasons for not taking the trip? Maybe, you know, you really want to take this exciting trip to Europe, but you've just moved and you feel like you should stay home and unpack your boxes. So maybe a loving reason for not going would be like, oh, I could get a little more organized. I could feel a little more settled. There's no right or wrong answers here. It's not always that the fear reasons are going to be the ones that you don't listen to, you know, but it's really to just see them clearly so that you can decide which is ringing the most true for you. That's what I loved about it is it's like no wrong answer. And for for me, I don't want to act from the fear box. So whether I choose yes or whether I choose no, I didn't want to be coming from one of those columns or one of those uh, reasons in the fear column. But I can also see the argument that you might need to do that in some situations as well. Like, you know, like I would never say to somebody, oh, you should just start your business and like quit your job with no plan. (laughs) You know, so I I mean, that might be right for some people, but it's not right for everybody. And so I think it's yeah, you're right. There's just no wrong answer, but it helps you to see it so clearly. And like, I think where to look is like really what lights you up and makes you feel the most energy in those, in all of the things that you wrote down. Yes, for sure. And, you know, and I, I like to think of it as, as more as like, yes, what's calling to you, what's sort of drawing you forward and what feels less like avoidance or, um, you know, getting away from or reacting, you know, like knee jerk reaction away from type of a thing, because, you know, that's really, that's really good information. And that's not necessarily, that's really not how we typically think about decisions, right? We generally try and cogitate our way through them and be very logical and make the pro and con list. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's just one way. It's just, it's like one intelligence when you have these other intelligences that you could bring to the table. And I think full circle, decision, making better decisions is like a monumental act in becoming a better person because every single decision you make affects something else in your life or somebody else's life. And so really like learning how to make better decisions is how to become a better person. For sure. Yes, I agree. I agree. (laughs) Okay. So now I have like a big picture question and then we'll do some fun ones. Um, What do you... Like what in your heart of hearts do you just want every single person who reads your work, listens to your podcast, encounters you, what do you want them to see, feel, hear, or understand for themselves? I want them to feel relief. I want them to feel a combination of relief and inspiration. Like, you know, we live in an age of influencers where people make, and uh, a lot of teachers who are breaking things down into steps, you know, it's like build your six-figure business in 60 days type of a thing. And I just think that there's a lot of this idea that we can crack the code and achieve certain things. And it's about kind of, it's conformative, you know? And, And I want people to feel relief in that what is better for them might not look like, no one else might think is better if they were applying it to their own lives. You know, I, I want people to feel like, oh, I don't have to live up to some ideal and I can be my (laughs) messy self. You know, it's not about perfection. Um, So the relief and then the inspiration is just like, wow, look at all these different ways 
all these different levers and all these different tools that I have to kind of help me find my way to whatever my better is. So, um, well, I tell you what, Kate Hanley, we are two of hearts then because that is my big mission with this podcast is to offer like entrepreneurial tidbits and professional tidbits without that feeling of like hustle. You need to do this. You should do this, you know, and, and just really inspiring people to build whatever dream that they have for their lives. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I love that we're like in such alignment with that. And I didn't even mean to set you up like that. Um, all right. Here's three fun questions for you. What are you currently reading right now? I love hearing what other writers are reading. Well, I just finished reading Crying in H Mart, which is an amazing memoir by Michelle Zahner about growing up with a Korean mother and American dad. And now she's a successful musician and her mom died when she was 25 years old and her mom was Korean. And so kind of when her mom died, she felt like she lost her connection to Korea. It's so, oh, there's so much good food description of Korean food. I am just like craving going to a Korean restaurant. I loved that. I love memoir. That is where my heart is. And even though I just finished it, I needed to tell you about it because the book that I'm reading now is 4,000 Weeks, which you may have heard people talk in some of our same circles. I've read it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just started it and I'm, I'm very excited about it because I feel that I have an interesting relationship to time as someone who like rolled up a few minutes late to our podcast interview. It's just like something that I am curious about. And like, I feel like I don't understand fully in the way that maybe other people do. So I'm very excited to get into it, but I just started it. So I will be interested to know your thoughts after because I de- I've read uh, I think three books consecutively that were all like very similar style, mm-hmm. uh, that being one of them, and I definitely have some thoughts okay. which I will not share. Yes. I will not share right now. Always so you're done. Let's um, okay. Okay. What did you eat for breakfast this morning? I ate oatmeal this morning, and I ate it right out of the pan, sitting at the stove. <laughs> Sounds like a nice hearty meal. Yes. Um, Okay. And healthy. Uh, And what are you working on or like kind of dreaming up right now? Mm. Well, I'm always working on podcast episodes. I'm almost on episode number 700. So there's really never many consecutive days in a row when I am not thinking about the podcast. I am dreaming about launching a class from the pod, you know, that I can offer to listeners who want to maybe engage a little bit more in real time. And this particular class that I want to lead first is on, (laughs) it's based on a blog post that I wrote many years ago that remains my largest source of traffic. And it's called How I Stopped Hating My Husband and You Can Too. And it's, it's kind of a an interesting lens for a lot of things that I believe in around being a better person that's centered on this Um, this experience that I think a lot of us can relate to, which is fighting about the dishes, which is what used to make me experience those feelings of hatred toward my husband. (laughs) Um, So that is still a little bit TBD. I wish I could tell you what the date was, but I'm working on it. But for some reason, it's something I've been working on for a really long time and I just never pulled the trigger. So check in with me. That sounds exciting. Okay. What are the different ways to work with you and how can people find and connect with you online and also find your podcast? Okay. Well, the podcast is everywhere that you could possibly listen to podcasts. It's called How to Be a Better Person with Kate Hanley. It's turquoise. It's got a little uh, sparkler in the logo. It's the same as my book cover. 
Um, my website is katehanley.com and the podcast is housed there as well as information on how to work with me in a coaching capacity. Um, I typically am only working with like two or three people at a time and I have a few people who are about to graduate for lack of a better term. So I don't know uh, if anybody's interested in that, you can go to katehanley.com and click on work with me. And you'll see some information about coaching there. And then I'm on I'm on social media. I'm pretty erratic with it, I will say. It's something that I am considering getting better at. <laughs> um, but on Instagram, I am Kate Hanley Author. And on Twitter, I'm Kate W. Hanley, which is Kate Hanley turns out is a pretty popular name. And they my fellow Kate Hanleys are doing some pretty cool stuff and they are on social media telling people about it. So I had to get, Oh no, <laughs> you have to bump yourself up there. <laughs> to get creative about my handles. That's funny. Um, well, so is the name she built this. So I totally hear you with that. We got to, we got to work our way to the top, that's but that's right. okay. Um, I'll make sure all those links are in an easy to find spot in the show notes so that people can just click right into there. And I just so appreciate you taking time. This was wonderful and lovely and probably the first time we will speak out of many. I love it, Emily. Thank you so much. What a wonderful podcast. You're a great interviewer. It was really great to spend time with you today. Thank you. To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.